Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour, Outkick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Friday Night Fights here tonight with TriStar Boxing. They have uh, eight bouts throughout the evening. Starts at 6 o'clock Central Time. You'll be able to watch at TriStarBoxing.com. We're sticking around. We'll be a part of this and look forward to uh, chatting with Larry Donald coming up. He's fighting tonight, and he'll join us in studio hours before making the walk to the ring outside in the beer garden. Amy Dash, the founder of League of Justice, and uh, she is the legal insider for Odyssey. She'll be with us in 20 minutes. Looking forward to chatting with her. Uh, There are plenty of legalities to discuss, everything from NIL to... NFL ownership issues to, of course, Deshaun Watson and much more. Amy Dash joins us in 20 minutes. And then Josh Pate, an hour and 15 minutes from now. Pate State, he was out in Los Angeles uh, yesterday and this week broadcasting for 24-7 Sports from Elite 11 as the news broke that uh, the Pac-12 would be losing USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Josh Pate joins us coming up in a little over an hour. So we're jam-packed going into the July 4th weekend. Boys, I'd be remiss if I did not wish a happy birthday to someone very special to me today. Tom Cruise, 60 years old today. 60? Tom Cruise turned 60 years old today. Wow. 60-year-old Tom Cruise. How about that? It's the largest man crush on the show. And it's warranted. I mean, especially with his latest work in Top Gun, Maverick. He went away for a bit. You know, he, I, I lost him. <laughs> I feel like I really lost Tom Cruise for a little while. Yeah, talk to us about his Oprah appearance. With all the Scientology, the Oprah. Talk to us about his Oprah Not just the Oprah, the Matt Lauer uh, interview where he called him glib. <laughs> was that the – you're glib. Very you're, glib. Matt, you're glib. That's what you are. Um, lost him for a bit, but my guy's back now. He's fully back in. He has shut his mouth about Scientology. I, I don't know that he's still involved at, at all. If so, we're not hearing about it. And he has gone right back to entertaining us. Entertain us, clown. <laughs> that's that's the I'll type be your of clown. I mean, Tom Cruise may legitimately uh, kill himself for the good of the craft and entertaining people. Like he's about well, to shoot a, a movie in space. He's like, yeah. I will die on this job. Well, he's practically already doing that with the way he films Top Gun with oh, the yeah. G forces that that he faces. Well, he shattered his ankle uh, shooting the last Mission Impossible, jumping from one building to another. And he took like two and a half weeks off of shooting and came back and could barely walk the rest of the movie, but somehow gutted it out and finished the project. I don't think it's been uh, discussed enough how 90% of that film, the actors are actually in those jets filming those scenes where they go up, the director is on the ground, has no communication with them. And when they come back, they hand over the, the chip that's got the footage on it and if you like it great if not you're redoing these scenes where you're trying not to pass out it's crazy i was reading a story at i think the ringer had a a a study from imdb on how in the last 20 years the average movie star the headliner for a movie has gotten older and older 
how this is a golden era for older movie stars. And even t- TV shows, Kevin Costner and what he's doing on Yellowstone, and they, they talk about Tom Cruise. But the median age has gone from somewhere that was like 37 years old, late 30s, for someone headlining a movie to 46 as the average age for the movie star. Wow. And, it, and it discusses Top Gun Maverick and says the stars of Top Gun Maverick are, at the time, soon-to-be 60-year-old Tom Cruise, 50-something Jennifer Conley, 50-something John Hamm, 62-year-old Val Kilmer makes an appearance, 73-year-old Ed Harris is in the movie, and then a smattering of 30-somethings. You know, like you think about the younger pilots as all you know, up and... No, they're all in their 30s. One of them uh, is 40 years old. That plays the younger pilot in it. So even the young hmm. pilots are mature actors that, that are in the movie. So that's the, uh, good news for all of us old people out there. Paul, the other, the other detail that I learned by uh, binging and watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, which you can find on YouTube, the, the, I had no idea that a lot of these actors, whenever they sign up for these, these roles, especially the action or superhero roles... You're under a contract where if they want to make a sequel, if they want to make a trilogy, you're, in. you're contracted based on whatever you've signed up for going into the first one. Yeah. Instead of, you, you know, don't get potential, to read a script and see if well, it's not the, good. Well, not the script. I'm saying financially. So, like, Amber Heard was trying to make the argument that she lost money, that they, they didn't give her enough for Aquaman 2 because of whatever was going on in this op-ed. And they had, you know, they called people up. They were like, no, we, we wouldn't have offered her more because she's under contract from Aquaman where she's locked in if we so choose. Uh, we could recast her role. Yeah. But she's going to make the same because we're not going to give her a raise because we don't do that for anyone. I, was, she's got I, I had no idea that's how it went you down. You joke about going back and watching a jury trial. That's like, to me, watching an uh, a old game. If I, if I know the result... I had no interest in watching, oh, but it, <laughs> watching there were so it, many what details happened. of the business that had nothing to do with the result, though. But that trial also led to the biggest story out of, and that's Johnny Depp is about to get Jack Sparrow back. I don't know if you saw the reports. He's going to sign a contract for $311 million oh. to make Ooh. another Pirates movie as Jack Sparrow in a spinoff series about the origins of Jack Sparrow for Disney+. Plus. 311, you said? It's over $300 million. Less than Deshaun Watson, though, it sounded like. I mean, <laughs> look, 320 I, versus you watch, the, you watch a trial and you think, well, there's probably no real winners in all of this with all the dirty laundry being aired for everyone. No, there's a clear winner in all this. It's Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp fans came to his defense, and uh, he is pretty much vindicated. Well, he's I mean, not Disney's losing, bringing him back But in. a lot of people think he's a nut now that didn't necessarily think he was a nut before well uh, i listen i always thought he was a bit of a nut just it's not based a bit on, of a nut. based on he's his interviews right nut based on his interviews but uh he's getting disney to give him 300 million dollars let me I would give call you my rule american born people who speak with british accents for no reason are crazy he's one of them didn't he move to france isn't he like an, a french resident yeah, you don't now? gain a british accent in france you gain a French I feel, but I feel like he's France. actually like uh, a fr- like I don't think that he's a citizen of the United States anymore. I think he's a naturalized citizen of France. Maybe I'm wrong. Larry Donald is with us. He's fighting tonight with TriStar Boxing here at Sixth and Peabody. Fight night is here, and we have uh, a guy who's nice enough to join us on the day of the fight. 
to discuss what's going down. Larry, great to meet you in person, man. We, we saw you yesterday as you're getting ready for the weigh and you feel a lot better today, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Rehydrated, ready to go. What, how much do you, how much leeway do you have weight wise? What do you need to weigh in at? What, what can you go up to now comfortably? Um, typically, uh, I usually fight at 135, but for this fight, I'm fighting at 140. And um, I usually walk around probably about like 145, anyways. So, you know, a lot of fighters cut big mounts, like, you know, 10 plus pounds, but for me, it's always like, under 10 anyway, so it wasn't that bad of a cut at all. So this made the, the, the 140 catch weight is much easier for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a lot easier. Like, you know, I didn't have to starve myself or dehydrate or anything like that. I really just kind of, you know, just worked out, hit the sauna a little bit. And, you know, honestly, walking from the parking lot to here, I lost about three pounds anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> is, is it hard for you to do an interview like this right now when you're hours away from boxing someone with all the preparation that goes in? Uh, no, not really. Honestly, it's, it's good to kind of get away and just, you know, I – Day of the fight, I kind of just stay busy. I watch fights. I, you know, hang with my friends. And, you know, you don't always want to be in a space where you're just constantly thinking, like, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Because I've been doing that for the past, you know, six to eight weeks anyway. So it's actually kind of refreshing to do this. Well, you're remarkably calm right now. I, I would have worked myself into a lather and been overly anxious at this point. What's your day like from here on out? When do you actually enter the ring to fight? And what are you going to go do now to get ready? Um, so, you know, we're here now. So basically after this, you know, I'll go uh, – do like physicals and you know do check in and all the other stuff and pretty much just relax and I'm just waiting till I fight and um as far as like what time I fight I'm the last fight of the night so I got a pretty good you know window of time you know to to watch the other fighters and you know just kind of chill until I you know get going. I think most people you know throwing a football, shot a basketball, swung a golf club. I think boxing it's the hardest thing to relate to. G give us the feeling of especially your first couple fights yeah. getting into the ring. Um, and and just having that feeling of it's just me. Yeah, yeah. Boxing, it's just I know I've played other sports growing up, football, basketball, um, you know, just everything. And there's nothing I can really you know relate it to the feeling of being in you know in a fight. It's just kind of you know there's no team. You got your corner, but you know when the bell rings, it's just you and your opponent. And um, it's kind of just like a just just a moment that you're in and you just live by it. I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I'm here for. This is what I train for. And then um, next thing you know, the fight's over. And, you know, going into a fight, you kind of feel every single emotion that you think of. But once you're in the ring, you're like, okay, this is why I do it. This is why I train. And then after the fight, you're like, man, that was crazy. Did I just do that? And then you're like, okay, when do I do this again? So, Larry Donald, our guest, uh, TriStar Boxing with the event tonight, uh, promoting the, uh, the eight event bouts uh, that will take place here at 6th and Peabody. You can stream that as well, TriStarBoxing.com. I want to talk the business of boxing right now yeah. because there has been a marriage in a way between celebrity, athlete, UFC, MMA, boxing. That's where the money is, yeah. really. Yeah, absolutely. So Mayweather and McGregor, that happens a few years ago, mm -hmm. and the floodgates opened. Yeah, yeah. What has now Jake Paul meant to the sport of boxing, the science of boxing? Because it's now the money involved yeah. in the sport itself and yeah. if you're on the card with jake paul you're making some coin yeah absolutely it's kind of you know you got to look at it for what it is like people jake paul says that he wants to be a world champion and honestly he's a young kid he's working really hard people kind of have this misconception like yo this dude is just a youtuber he can't fight and you know that's kind of like what he's selling and so that's why he's tricking a lot of people but i mean he's a millionaire from his youtube videos and, and his other you know everything that he else that he does and you know he has all the amenities that you need as a fighter to, you know, he has the best training in the world, access to everything that you need. And he's actually, you know, getting pretty good. Now, will he be world champion? That's, you know, yet to be seen. But he does have a lane of his own and, and a niche that he's in. And um, people who want to try to follow what he does, whether it's other athletes or celebrities or YouTubers, they got to kind of have respect for the sport. And they got to kind of, you know, um, 
just, you know, appreciate, you know, boxing and respect for boxing. Because, you know, you see this fight with Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson's like, oh, I'm an NBA player. Right. I yeah. got this little, you know, trash-talking kid, but I'm an athlete. I'm big and strong. But he didn't have respect for boxing. And then you see what happened to him. So No doubt. And, and you can tell Jake Paul has some – he has the respect for the sport because oh, yeah. he's – I mean, he's building this brand of an unbeaten lane, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, that's what he's promoting. And he's going up against other – individual brands i think he's now going to be taking on tyson fury's half brother or something nonetheless like so we've got i'm I'm looking at some of the other athletes frank gore seems Mm. to be about this life yeah yeah taking it seriously uh Le'Veon bell has talked about uh wanting to fight adrian peterson (laughs) i don't know if it's a money grab or if they're actually trying to do this or it's it's both but as a pro boxer when you see these guys step out of the nfl lane and try to come in and make some cash yeah. over a one event thing. Do you kind of, do you look at that like, man, it's taking a spot for someone else? Or do you think, man, this is a spot for me to try to yeah, get, I mean, get into that, get into that, uh, that night, that, yeah. that event. Once, once again, like it's a lane of its own. It's, you know, celebrity boxing. It's not, you know, world, you know, championship level. And, you know, with Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell fighting, I mean, once again, they got to have, you know, respect for the sport and they got to train. And you mentioned Frank Gore, Frank Gore, he's, you know, he's actually training. he, Actually had another fight a couple weeks ago. Um, he fought uh, maybe a, a, a an actual fighter. I don't know if he's yeah. an MMA guy or a boxer, but he, but he looked pretty good. But he's actually training. He's actually doing the work and you know getting his skill set better. What's a to be legitimately respectful of the sport and, and like you said, going from one sport to another. What's the amount of time one would need if you're a top level athlete in one sport and you decide I'm going to give this a shot? How long would they need to train to do that for you to take them seriously at all? Um, I mean, that's really based on the athlete. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, a lot of sports, some sports cross over better. Um, for what I've seen, a lot of basketball players, they transition over better to boxing. Football players are kind of like hunched down and more compact. And, you know, it takes them a minute to get into the flow of moving like a boxer because, you know, boxing is, is about, you know, being nice and relaxed, even with your punches. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able to move and flow and not just always be so, like, tense. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, it, it really, like I said, it just depends on the athlete and what level they are like some you have some athletes that have boxed when they were little like I think Darren Williams maybe he, he yeah. boxed you know whenever he was younger and you know in that kind of transition even though he didn't compete like you know most fighters but you know he once ever he started training again and he got in there he looked a lot better and he kind of moved faster than other fighters so Larry Donald fights tonight with TriStar Boxing here at Sixth and Peabody do you get amped to watch Canelo Triple G Again, whenever that rolls around? Um, at first, I didn't because I was like, well, I'll be honest. I thought Triple G won the first fight, and they gave it to Canelo. I thought Canelo won the second fight, and I thought they should have just went ahead and, you know, done the third fight. And, you know, you kind of live – I think it was like four years past. And then, you know, it, I was kind of like, okay, we've been there, done that. We moved past it. But once they started the promotion and you kind of see that there is bad blood, that, you know, they've known each other for a while. They, they were former, you know, sparring partners. And, you know, they kind of have a genuine dislike for each other. Even though Triple G's like, no, it's just business. I'm, you know, if, you know, Canelo, he, that's – no, he doesn't like Canelo. Canelo doesn't like him, so that does add to it. What What is your record? Uh, five and zero, oh, three KOs. Five and zero, oh, three KOs. Um, sanction event tonight. There, you had the weigh in and everything. So this yeah. is this is official. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of unsanctioned fights that no one talks about, where you can go and spar and do yeah. some stuff. Does, I mean, do you? How do you? How do you train for an event like this? Is going to counter your record, but also wanting to to spar and get some live action and not just punch a bag. Yeah, um, so I have uh, my primary training partner. His name's uh, Eduardo Aguilar. He goes by Chachi. He's a um, future world champion, one of the best boxers I've ever been in there with. And um, we do like a lot of training. Obviously, you know, the, the most important part of boxing is, you know, the work that you do whenever nobody's watching, waking up or early morning or even late at night, you know, putting the miles in. And, you know, 
with me, you know, turning pro when I did, you know, I don't have uh, to have somebody tell me, hey, Larry, wake up, go run. Hey, go do your back work. Go, all that stuff that you have to do as a fighter to get in shape, I, I can do that on my own. But there's certain things that you do as a fighter that you need to fine tune as far as like fight simulation and, you know, getting the punches down, your timing down. And that's the, the real stuff that you need to work on. Are you under a, a multi-fight contract with TriStar? No, no, I'm just, just fight by fight. Okay, so yeah. I, I, it's my understanding this is not just a one-off event here. Yeah. I think we need to put our collective minds together if you're main eventing the next one yeah we need to have some long walkout where you come out and you're like carried like a pharaoh out there or something yeah. like you <laughs> would see tyson fury walk out in england yeah uh and put on a spectacle and a show i mean there there is a showmanship aspect to uh the promotion that people buy into before we even actually hear the bell ring oh, yeah. i thought you were going to volunteer me to be the one that carries them out yeah on uh, chad's shoulders uh, do you have a nickname Absolutely. Yeah, Limitless. Yeah, Limitless. Limitless is my nickname, yeah. We'll, we'll have to do something playing off Limitless. Oh, no. Otherwise, we were going to name you the Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, the Pharaoh, yeah. Hey, a lot of fighters like to be carried out of the ring. I think Ryan Garcia got carried around. Uh, Floyd, everybody, that, that's a big thing. Tyson Fury, I mean, you know, he's like almost 300 pounds, so you probably need a, a bunch of guys to do that. But, <laughs> oh. you know, I'm 140, 135, so you know, it'd be pretty easy to do I'm that. I'm starting to go to the gym so I can, I can pull my weight. <laughs> yeah. so this so is the speak. next progression in your <laughs> right, workout yeah. is to carry him to, to the How ring. How well do you know this guy you're fighting Fourth. tonight? I don't even know who you're fighting. Um, yeah, it, it was. You another, don't either. No, I don't know too much about him. Like I said, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, another kind of late minute replacement okay. as far as like, you know, uh, things like that happen, especially at this level. Um, but I don't. And know that too sucks much when that him. happens. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, you know, kind of like similar to the amateur days of like you don't really know too much about the guy you're fighting. You're just, you know, going in there. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter because you know I'm prepared for whatever and whoever. And you know, if I prepare right and I'm there mentally, then you know it doesn't matter who it is. A couple more things, and we'll have you back on because well, there will be other fight nights here. Um, how many how many fights are you trying to get into a calendar year to be able to make the amount of money you want to make? Yeah, um, right now I'm just trying to stay as active as possible and get you know if I could fight two three more times this year that'd be great. Um, especially at this level because I'm not fighting elite top tier competition yet. Um, the main thing right here is to get experience and you know build my record and get more comfortable fighting at the pro level. And then um, you know once I get to 10, 15, you know, wins yep. right around the area. Then I'll start start fighting contenders, and you know, hopefully champ, champions. You know, soon. Then um, you know, then that whenever you fight at that level, you know, you, the fights are spaced out a little bit more because bigger promotions, more money behind it, and you know, you kind of build up the you know the stuff like that. Right, and that's why when you have a guy pull out or fall out of a fight last minute. You've trained. This is a date and a payday for yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. And I'm assuming it's a show-up thing. Yeah. It's not like weigh-in and it's a guaranteed purse. Yeah. So you've got to fight to make the purse. Exactly, exactly. And if you don't have an opponent, you're screwed. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, it's, like I said, this is, you know, the beginning stages of my career. And, um, you know, it's not like huge promotions, not a huge, you know, um, people put up a bunch of money. It's really, you know, the supporters that I have, they come in and support us. And, you know, that's the biggest part It's like, you know, people, you know, spend their hard-earned money to come show me, support me and watch me fight. So, you know, I definitely want to come out and give them a good show. How can we follow you on Instagram? Um, you can follow me at uh, Larry underscore Donald. And also um, you can follow my training studio, which is right down the road, LD Boxing uh, on Instagram. We are doing that right now. We will cool. be in attendance tonight. Uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you um, having me. And uh, really look forward to watching you uh, compete tonight. All righty, sir. Thank Thanks. you. Larry Donald has been our guest. I don't know what he's going to do now, but he's extremely loose, ready to go. I wish there were options on FanDuel for Larry Donald's bout tonight. I, I would take the money. I would, I would, I would place it on Larry Absolutely. right now in the red corner. I am now following LD Boxing on Odds Instagram. Oh, he's fighting DeCorey and Dotson. I just learned this. Um, there you go. Odds would probably be yeah. dictate that you have to have How many rounds? Money. Uh, four rounds. Oh, four rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, KO in the third.
Yeah. It's over tonight it's, for DeCorey. Yes, sir. He did, he did air quotes when he said yeah. four rounds. <laughs> not like it's going to go four rounds. It's not going that long. Coming up, Amy Dash joins us. A lot of legalities to discuss in the world of sports. Uh, legal insider for Odyssey. She joins us next on Outkick 360. Okay. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Kick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us, headed into the July 4th weekend. Plenty of headlines involving the legalities of football right now, pro and college. Amy Dash joins us at Amy Dash TV on social media and with Odyssey. She's their legal analyst. Amy, great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing great. Uh, ba- based on the the recent news of everything that's taken place with the hearing with Deshaun Watson and what we are now waiting on with Judge Sue Robinson, what are you now expecting as we move forward here? We, the latest report is we could be waiting weeks on the final resolution. Give us kind of a timeline and based on what you've heard, what you've read, who you've talked with, what are you expecting? I know a lot of people want it, you know, before that July 26th, 27th date, I heard you mention in the beginning of the show. I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen because I think the post-hearing briefs were requested for July 11th. She needs time to be able to review those, review all the evidence, and then come up with a written opinion. So I think definitely in the next couple of weeks, we'll know. But what I'm expecting is I think there will be discipline in at least a couple of cases. I just do not see a scenario where there's 24 allegations, there's extensive police interviews, NFL interviews, documentary evidence, and there is not you know, enough evidence in at least a couple of cases to merit a suspension. And the reason I say that is, even though the NFL has the burden of proof, they don't necessarily have to prove guilt of sexual assault allegations. They can just prove that the conduct demonstrated was detrimental to the league and the public faith and perception of the NFL. And clearly with everything that's happened with the media, with with his decision to reach out, go outside of the contracted entity that was coordinated for the Texans to get their massages, you know, reach out to dozens and dozens of women on social media, arrange massages in people's homes, their mother's homes, you know, hotels, use massage tables from the team, and then admit 
that sexual encounters took place with some of these women, that in and of itself might be enough to get some sort of a suspension on the books. And we know what the league can do is separate from what the legal system can do, and there doesn't have to be a conviction. But Deshaun Watson's legal team has continued to say this, and they'll continue to do so and say two grand juries did not proceed uh, with this after they heard it. Amy, can you take us through the grand jury process with something like this and what that means when they don't proceed with charges in this case? To me, it means that there was a problem with the evidence. It's very easy normally to get an indictment. You don't need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. The grand juries are a set of people that sit for an entire term, so they're used to. These are not people who are new to the system. They're used to hearing, but What I thought was odd was that the lead detective said in her deposition that she was not called to testify before the grand jury. This is a detective who said in her deposition that after examining all of the recordings, after interviewing people, albeit Deshaun Watson was not interviewed, but looking at the documentary evidence, speaking to the women, she and her fellow officers were all of one mind that he had committed a crime in all of the cases. So the whole thing is a little bit suspect. There was some reporting that maybe Rusty Hardin, who represents Watson, had been a little chummy with the uh, prosecutor. They had been texting back and forth. He denied that, of course. But I mean, broadly speaking, it says to me there were problems with the evidence that was presented. Keep in mind, a lot may have not been presented. There were a lot of these women lined up in the hallway outside of the grand jury room ready to testify. I believe only one of them was called in. So the grand jury may not have heard a lot, but from what it heard, there must have been some sort of problems with the evidence. What I mean by that is there were some reports from Watson's camp that some of these women, you know, they accused him of sexually assaulting or harassing them. And then a couple of them would text him several days later, a week later, asking to massage him again. When you have something like that, it it puts some doubt into the minds of the jurors over whether these women are credible. That being said, I would say that pertained to 10 cases of women that filed criminal complaints, but you have the NFL examining 24 cases. There's still 14 other women that may have decided not to go the criminal route who may have compelling evidence where you can at least get a suspension on two or three cases, and that's a year already if you go with the six-game minimum. Can you explain Daniel Snyder's ability to avoid slash decline uh, a subpoena from the U.S. House of Representatives? Sure. So I think that was absolutely the right move. I would have advised him to do that if you watched the hearing up on Capitol Hill. Clearly, the Democrats at least were gunning for him to get there so that they could pretty much crucify him. I mean, if you listen to their rhetoric, they believe that and stated that he was guilty essentially, of what he was accused of. So it's not going to be a fair hearing. There were a lot of Republicans who felt and expressed so on the record that really this shouldn't even be in the domain of Congress. This is not a legislative matter. This is a private corporation. It's the NFL. It's a sport that has nothing to do with lawmaking or public policy. So what Daniel Snyder should and probably will do is he has a team of lawyers. They can contest the validity of that subpoena and say, this is not legally valid. Go to court, ask for it to get thrown out. Now, of course, and they can, by the way, they can use some of that rhetoric from the Republicans during that hearing to say, listen, even some politicians agree that this Congress has no business meddling in the private affairs of the NFL or its clubs and what goes on there in a private workplace. Of course, 
Politicians will say, no, 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 we have two pieces of legislation pending to protect people from sexual harassment in the workplace. And this influences workplaces across America. Now, unlikely that the courts would ever throw out a subpoena from uh, a subpoena from Congress, because that's really the domain of the political branch. It may be too much of a political question and they don't want to interfere because of separation of powers between the branches. But they can narrow the scope of it. And that will help Daniel Snyder, because then he won't be subjected to so much questioning. You saw Roger Goodell you know, being questioned about why he won't leave, let Dave Portnoy into games. So, you know, avoiding things that could either be embarrassing, but also avoiding situations in where he might be brought up on perjury charges if he's asked specific questions or broad questions and he tries to dance around them and gives the appearance, at least, that he's not telling the truth. So there are two things that I'm, I'm excited to ask you about from a legal perspective. Um, and you can maybe look at this through the lens of someone representing someone involved, uh, with the commanders in these two stories, or if you're looking at it through the lens of the league also. Um, one of them is the idea of compelling someone to sell something they own, right? Where league rules and, and what they have in their charter about doing this could conflict with rules of the, or laws of the land. We saw it with Donald Sterling in the, in the NBA. There's a lot of people saying, well, Snyder just shouldn't be allowed to own the Washington Commanders. What do you say when you hear that, and how much of a slippery slope is this when you start going down this road from a legal standpoint? Personally, I would say the same thing that I'd say in any case. If there's not direct evidence of wrongdoing, even if the person may have engaged in wrongdoing, if it can't be proven, and I'm not talking about by circumstantial evidence, unless it's super strong, but I mean direct evidence, then he shouldn't be stripped of his ownership rights. However, listen, there's a secret settlement allegedly from 2009, I believe, that's being reported on. There's a new investigation where a cheerleader has already uh, accused him directly of sexually harassing her. Um, so there are allegations against him. It's not just that he was supervising this workplace where a lot of toxic things were going on. And maybe or maybe maybe he did. Maybe he didn't know about it. And people are saying, well, he had to have known he was the owner. It's not that anymore. Now he's directly implicated. So if through the course of that investigation, there's direct evidence that he did something wrong. And I'm not talking about a settlement because a settlement does not imply guilt. People settle for a variety of reasons. If you can prove he did something wrong, sexually assaulted somebody, sexually harassed somebody, something really serious, then Roger Goodell is likely going to recommend to the owners to try to vote him out. Keep in mind, the owners want to protect their own ownership, so they don't want to be voted out based on mere allegations. So they're not going to do something like that lightly. But in the case of Jerry Richardson, case of Donald Sterling, you had, you know, you had like on its face, they call it prima facie evidence that he did what he was accused of. And so there was no choice but for him to either relinquish his rights to the team or get voted out. So the other one, this is a hot button issue everywhere, freedom of speech, right? Someone gets in trouble for saying something and the response is, you're infringing upon my freedom of speech. And I'm talking about Jack Del Rio getting fined $100,000 by Ron Rivera for statements he made in a press conference about January 6th and compared them to some other things that had happened in the country with some laws that were broken. Um, legally, what do you think when people come back and say you're infringing on someone's right to give one opinion versus another opinion versus 
stating things that are factually incorrect and being fined for them. What do you make of the whole story? You can state things that are factually incorrect. I mean, if you're accusing somebody of something, you might actually get sued for defamation. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are really hypocritical when it comes to this stuff. They don't want to see Colin Kaepernick kneel and that a lot of people call that freedom of speech, but they want to be able to hear, you know, somebody, an assistant coach talk about uh, an insurgency up on Capitol Hill and and be able to express those thoughts. So I think the, the rules have to be uniform across the board. And we're not really talking about First Amendment rights here because it's in the context of the NFL. This is a private corporation. So you're not judging it by the same rules that public officials or other people who work for the government are held to. This is a, an organization that makes its own rules. So there has to be a determination, you know, either within the club or with the league. A lot of times the league and the club don't simultaneously discipline. One will do it over the other. Um, as to whether this reflects negatively, again, this, this concept of conduct detrimental, it's extremely broad. So I just don't think that you can go take First Amendment rights and speech and transfer it over because the standard is just not the same. It's an incredibly arbitrary standard that the NFL is using to basically give itself as much broad powers as possible to be able to um, you know, bend to public pressure when necessary so that they don't have any type of financial consequences. You can follow Amy on Twitter at Amy-TV, uh, Instagram there as well, founder of uh, the uh, website leagueofjustice.com, and she's with Odyssey as their legal insider. We're, we're continuing the theme, Amy, of the, the off-season of litigation for the league. Stephen Ross, owner of the Miami Dolphins, former head coach Brian Flores, the latest headlines out there involve arbitration, or at least that's the league's hope. What are the steps to actually get there, and what would that mean in the grand scheme of things versus what we're seeing in other issues right now this offseason? I think the biggest thing in that case is that the defendants are broad in reach, and they include basically the entire league. So had there been a dispute between Brian Flores and his team that would have a greater chance of going to arbitration because that's the clause. The clause specifically says that when you're talking about the league and you're going to force it into arbitration where the league is in charge of that arbitration, then there's a fairness issue. And judicially in the court system, and we saw this with Tom Brady, we saw this with the Ezekiel Elliott case, the standard is fairness. Is it going to be fair? And if it's not going to be fair, the courts will intervene. A lot of times courts don't want to intervene, though, because they want to respect the collectively bargained for process because it unclogs the court system. So I think it's going to come down to, you know, the types of defendants. But what I will say, like on that front with Stephen Ross, because I've been told, you know, there were allegations, serious allegations that he had allegedly asked Flores to fix the game. That's obviously a federal crime, any type of sports bribery, even an attempt to do so. Massive fines, potentially jail time. And I think that's going to come down to the evidence. And so you may not see that type of evidence surface in an arbitration, but you may see it surface in a federal court. And I say that because at least I've been told uh, reportedly that the NFL does have a memo that Brian Flores had sent to Dolphins management that details and documents some of these allegations that he made against Ross in 2019 when it happened. And I know certain people are having trouble getting their hands on that document because the NFL is not handing it over. 
This is something that should be brought up to a judge to say, hey, if you force this into arbitration, the NFL's already in the discovery process holding back documents that are critical to the question of whether Brian Flores was asked to, to fix games or tank games. And so then we're going to have no shot of the truth ever coming out. So I think, uh, you know, that kind of stuff might persuade a judge to allow this to move forward. Are those two issues ultimately, you think, going to be adjudicated separately? The the charge against Ross that he asked his coach to, to lose and Flores' uh, primary case regarding uh, treatment of minority coaches? I think that if that evidence ends up coming up, it will be used to support Flores' claims on the civil side. And then in the course of that discovery, as things become public, not only through the court process, but through the media process, um, that if there's evidence to support that, in fact, and what I'm being told is true and it's strong evidence, well, then sometimes the federal authorities will take note of what's going on in the civil court system. And then that would be a separate process altogether if the federal authorities decide to get involved. Amy, which topic this offseason are you tired of the most? Tired of? Yeah, which one? Like, I mean, you, you joined a ton of shows through CBS oh Sports Radio and Fox Sports Radio. <laughs> which, I mean, is it the Watson? And, and by the way, there are so many varying opinions from the same people on the Watson issue right now, on if he's going to be suspended for the full season. All of a sudden, Florio's writing a column about, oh, well, there, there could be a situation where Sue Robinson doesn't suspend him at all or recommend that. I mean, the back and forth here is just, it's baffling to me. Yeah, well, I've been shocked. I mean, I'm not necessarily tired of subjects. Uh, I find it really fascinating. And I mean, the whole goal for me really is to just take these cases that are timely and relevant to sports and use them as a portal to like educate people in a fun and sports-centric way about the law. And, and hopefully they could take something away from it, whether it's like just discussing it at the water cooler and knowing what you're talking about or understanding something as complex as the law, just making it super accessible. So I never really get tired of it because there's always that challenge of like parsing through really complex documents and concepts and thinking, how can I make this interesting? How can I bring up sports analogies from the past to really show this evolution of sports law history that that isn't really a genre on its own. But I do get tired of, I hate to say this, I have so many allies in the media. I love the media. I love a lot of my fellow reporters, hosts, producers, but speculation like that, um, taking a headline where legally probably not much is going to happen and blowing it up and misinforming people and, and just for the sake of making another headline. And actually, I get a lot more calls when that happens because it's like, is this really true? This sounds so extreme. Can you come in and clarify it? And then I have to say that's unlikely to happen. Now, listen, he could get no discipline. If you look at it uh, from purely legal, factual basis, this is a former federal judge. She might think that the evidence just isn't strong enough. And that's a possibility. I would be shocked by it, but I've been shocked many times before about how judges have ruled on these cases. So, I mean, that element of surprise keeps it exciting. Amy, help me with this on, on NIL, okay? If I am a high school athlete in a state like California that allows name, image, likeness dollars to come to me, and I am a collective in another state that wants to rep that athlete through name, image, and likeness, how is the NCAA going to come in and say, no, 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 no. That is against the rules. You can't do that and be affiliated with any university if I'm not technically affiliated with university, but wink, wink, we all know what's going on for that said player to go to that university. Help me with how that's going to be adjudicated. 
Well, my experience with the collectives is that you have these billionaires who are backing specific universities that either they have a connection to because they coached there or they're an alum or they live in that state. And they're sort of disguising NIL as really a recruitment tactic where they're saying, "Okay, you'll come to XYZ University and you will have the opportunity to earn up to, let's say, one hundred thousand dollars and you'll sign autographs and you'll do endorsement deals and promotions. But really, they're just using that money to recruit the person because they know they're guaranteed that money. And so they're saying sign a couple of balls and that's your services. So it qualifies as NIL. Um, The problem, and I think what you're specifically talking about is the uh, differences between the different state laws where you literally have these billionaires influencing and contributing to the campaigns of politicians in states to change the laws to allow and protect collectives to do this. So they're stacking university teams, these billionaires. And so it's no longer a level playing field. And until you have federal uniformity, and I think this would solve the problem that you're talking about, where the federal government comes in and says, no, no, a collective cannot be involved with a potential recruit until that recruit has committed Um, And then they override those state laws that are either manipulated by money or that conflict with one another. It's going to be really hard for the NCAA to enforce anything. And it's not just, you know, recruitment. It's also retention. Once the player is there, it's very easy for them to stay because they make their demand of if you don't give me more NIL money, I'm going to go into the transfer portal. See you later. So right now they need to not just say, oh, collectives can't help recruit people. They should also say collectives cannot get in bed with universities, set up university-specific deals that that create this landscape of, oh, I know if I go to this school, this is how much I'm going to make. They don't even have to have contact with me. I already know what the deal is. Legal analyst Amy Dash has been our guest on Outkick 360. Amy, thank you so much for the time, uh, especially on short notice. Happy 4th. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. This is great. Bye. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, she was she was awesome. Uh, hopefully we really did. Hopefully had her facts right whenever uh, she was listening to the first segment. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm sure we did not. <laughs> I'm also quite sure that no one's going to be able to legislate yeah. what she was talking about with the collectives and what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. We'll we'll have Amy on again. Uh, at least we will uh, do our part uh, on this end to try to have her on the show again because there will be a lot of headlines involving this over the next month or so and, and moving forward. Coming up. Headlines of the day. Plus, uh, coming in at hour number three, Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports will talk about the conference realignment involving USC, UCLA, and what's next with all of this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We hope you're next with us on Outkick 360. Rudy Gobert has been traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves from Utah to Minnesota. Outkick 360 rolls on. Some some star power headline there. Star power headline, but two very similar franchises in my mind. You go from Utah to Minnesota, those are two that I kind of lump in together. Carl Anthony Towns, who signed a maximum deal to stay in, in Minnesota last night. So... Timberwolves, loading up. 
You don't have to change wardrobes too much. So news coming out of Oregon. This from John Canzano, who is a columnist and radio personality in Oregon, big-time newsmaker, news guy in the state of Oregon, who tweets, I spoke to lawmakers in Washington and Oregon today. There's a movement afoot to emphasize that the public and taxpayers do not want public Pac-12 universities split from each other. The effort, if successful, would keep Oregon State in Oregon and Washington State and Washington together. That's nice that you keep those four together, I suppose, for the Pacific Northwest. But what about after that? It's really, to me, I, I see this and I think, this is a push from Washington State and Oregon State and people affiliated with those universities to keep them there. Relevant. But if not, they're, they're getting closer to irrelevance. Yes. If they get left behind while those two programs, which has been rumored to be the next two that are going to appeal to be in the Big Ten. But again, you keep those four together, and if every, everything else is in action and in movement – you can't have a four-team league, so who else are you with? You, well, you do mean, that, sacrificing Stanford and everybody else that you've played with, and you're going to end up with a bunch of see, crap now, in the rest of your league. Now I, now we I want, all drown together. So that's, that's I may need to uh, reach back out to, to Amy Dash because I wonder if you're Oregon or Washington, can you just sign a contract right now? Can you have the Big Ten send you over an invite? Right now, before anything like this happens? Well, and it's, it's going to happen faster than legislation can happen, right? They said next week. Also, is yeah, it UCLA? So, I mean, is do it, it right now. Is what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you just go ahead and get in front of it. Isn't UCLA a public school? Yes. USC's private. I do know that. But I believe UCLA is a public school. Yeah. I mean, that's a public school in the state of California that had no problem breaking away from other public schools in the state of California. Well, it's not with other public schools in the state of California. Cal, well, Berkeley, yeah. The Cal's in the conference. I mean, they, my point is, there's all this talk that Virginia and Virginia Tech, by lawmakers, are tied at the hip and cannot separate from each other. So that's what Oregon and Washington are trying to argue. If you're a taxpayer-funded university, you can't split from each other. What's just the, just what another if, thing to watch. What if Kevin watch. Warren comes back and says, you know what, we'll take all four? You know, we'll buy off Congress in your state. That's what we'll do. Instead of paying, since it's free to get you out of your conference, we'll just pay Congress to shut up. Give us Washington. We'll take Washington State. Headlines when we return. Josh Pate, Pate State, joins us in 20 minutes on Outkick 360.